2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co host, Nick Filato. This is podcast recording number three. This might be the most we've ever done in a day, Nick. I'm curious if you have any memory or recollection of having done more. I know we banged a couple, like we're, we're banging them out today, and we're obviously not dropping them all today. We have two great interviews that are coming to you that will be dropped later this week uh, or weekend, depending on when you listen to this. We did want to hit this one because the Giants had their voluntary OTAs today, and a lot of players were there. They ran seven on sevens, and most importantly, there was media access. So there are some things to talk about. Joe Shane spoke. Brian Dable spoke. Saquon Barkley spoke. Kenny Galladay spoke and had some interesting things to say about one Kadarius Tony's absence from another voluntary OTA today. So there are some things to talk about. They talked a little bit about the offense and what to expect for the Giants fans. They talked a little bit about the defense. Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence both spoke about Wink Martindale's defense. And so I thought there were some interesting things to talk about everywhere there, Nick. But let's start with – where do you want to start with this? Because I I think we, we both kind of went over what some of the media asked. The funny thing was I remember Giant Insider asked, you know, give us your evaluation of cross and chains. Like, what do you want me to do? Show you our big board right now. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but obviously they made mention of the tackles and how, and whether or not they do something like move Andrew Thomas to right tackle, depending on who they draft a lot of stuff that I thought was filler, but then some good stuff too. So where do you want to start here? I think maybe probably the main topic here to start with would be the Kadarius Tony no show from the second voluntary OTA. Uh, what are exact? So, Brian Dable and Joe Shane didn't speak on it. They've said, just let's keep in mind. Well, they didn't say much. Shane said, Nick, that um, keep in mind it's voluntary. Dable said, we can't do anything with Tony. We can't get him the playbook. We can't be giving out playbooks virtually. So the only people who have it are the people who are here. They did seven on sevens. They did practice as well. So I personally feel like, and, and one other thing to mention, Art Stapleton pointed this out, and it's a great point. In the new CBA, coaches could get fined if they speak negatively of players not showing up for voluntary OTAs. Then finally, you had Kenny Galladay come out and say, look, I'm here because I think I should be here. I think you should be here. I think everyone should be here. And he doesn't have to be here. Good job by Kenny Galladay. But he is because he wants to make a mark with the new staff. He wants to get some reps in with Daniel Jones. He wants to learn the playbook fast. And he said, I think everybody should be here. He said, I don't know why Tony's here, but I haven't spoken to him in a while. Two things that stand out to me there about the Tony thing that I don't like, Nick. And again, we're not sitting here as 80-year-old podcasters harping on guys not showing up for voluntary OTAs. I know Nick doesn't feel the way and I don't feel the way. But there are other things to think about here and consider. One, be there with your teammates. Two, communicate with your teammates. Like, why is he not talking with Galladay? Why does he not have any relationship with Galladay and Shepard? And three, yeah, I agree with Galladay. You should be there. This is a new offense. This is a new system. You have to get the playbook as fast as you can. If you want to be that alpha number one, you should be there. And so I don't know, man, I didn't love, I, I thought it was very enlightening what Galladay said about the about Tony not being there and about other players being there. And I, I, I got to admit, I don't love Tony not showing up for this.
1: No, I don't love it. And I'm sure the coaches don't love it as well. And I felt like what Kenny Galladay also said, just how he's, needs to learn the playbook and basically he wants the team to be on the same page I think that's very important one thing he also said though about Kadarius Tony specifically was that he was he believes that he talked to Sterling Shepard which is important and he also said we kind of holler at him a little bit I feel like he would definitely listen to us so it doesn't seem like Kadarius Tony is on any kind of negative ground with any of the Giants current wide receivers but I just don't know why he isn't there like I don't know if he has a legitimate reason I have no on what actually is going on i do know if he can be there i would hope that he would want to be there to impress the new regime the new coaching staff and to learn the playbook because this was a player coming off of a rookie season that had flashes but he was mostly injured you want to ingratiate yourself well with the new regime and that hasn't started great. and to be honest dan Go back to last year, it wasn't either when there was always one thing after another with Kadarius, Tony kind of missing practice or not being able to practice. It's just a, as we said earlier, it's not the end of the world, but it's just a trend that doesn't seem to be going in the right direction right now.
2: Yeah, we talk a lot about steady drum beats all throughout our analysis when it comes to the draft or even just like Giants players who have steady nice drum beats from training camp buzz that builds through the first game or whatever it may be. Honestly, the steady drumbeat for Tony hasn't been good since they drafted him, with the exception of what he's put on the field, which is really good on the limited snaps. He started with a double COVID, missing most of camp, Then he had injuries, keeping him out. He came back, got injured again, didn't play. You know, it's just a lot of injuries and a lot of off-field drama right now for a player who, in my mind, should be showing up day one for the new install And being like, I am the dude. Look at me on tape. Watch me destroy Trayvon Diggs on this rep against the Cowboys. Look at what I'm capable of. I want to be the best receiver in the NFL. I want to be the best receiver for the New York Giants. I want to win Super Bowls with this team. That's kind of what you're getting from a lot of the other guys. Maybe they have more capital invested in them, whether it be Galladay or Leonard Williams from a financial standpoint. But Tony's a first-round pick. That's a lot of capital from a draft standpoint and from investment, too. You're paying these first-round picks a lot of money. And I know it's voluntary. Again, I don't want to kill someone for not being there in April to volunteer thing, but this is different when it's not year two, when it's year one with a new staff and you're installing a brand new playbook to and to to that point, both Galladay and Parkley have said they're moving us around a lot more, which is so funny to hear, man. Like how bad do you have to run an offense as Jason Gabbard? You have your next players coming in and one of the points they make is they're moving us around. That should be part of freaking (laughs) offense. And even Garrett himself before last season said, no, we use a lot of motion. We just can't do it all the time. Like, dude, give me a break. And then, You got Galladay and Barkley saying there's a lot more creative concepts within this offense as well. And obviously it's seven on sevens. It doesn't matter. But today there was a lot of routes where Barkley was like, Barkley made a big play as a receiver lined up on the outside. And we're going to see him more. The expectations, we're going to see him more as a receiver and used on design targets. And it's like, it's a different offense. It's more creative. People are moving. There's more in motion, And it's a new offense. It's brand new, new terminology. I feel like Tony really should
1: be here for day one of this install. Yeah, he definitely should be there from day one of the install. And one thing I will say, too, just because we brought up Saquon Barkley, I think it's excellent that we have now a healthy Saquon Barkley because last year I think we can at least argue that he wasn't fully healthy or at least – From a mental standpoint, he kind of went into camp being like, well, I just rehabbed my knee. What's going to happen? Now it seems like it's going to finally be a Saquon Barkley that doesn't necessarily have to fret for injury, and that's something that he also brought up, saying I'm not rehabbing the knee, so physically and mentally I'm doing a lot better than I was doing a year ago. I think that's something that hopefully could lead to a more dynamic Saquon Barkley because I think you and I can come to an agreement. His film last year – Yes, the offensive line sucked. There's no doubt about that. But he also struggled in terms of hitting the hole and just he didn't look as confident as we saw him be back in, geez, 2018, which was the last time we saw Saquon Barkley be the Saquon Barkley that was at Penn State.
2: And to be fair, when he was running behind, what he was running behind in 2018 wasn't a good offensive line either. It wasn't necessarily much better or worse than what we saw last year. So it's not a great excuse when you compare those two. And I think it's even the little things like the stuff that's not as pronounced, the stuff that you saw only fewer, you saw fewer reps of, Like when he was running his routes, he wasn't running as crisp routes last year as he was even in his rookie season, which was like where you expect him to be running less crisp routes back then where he's obviously had more time to become a better pro and sharpen that area of his game. But last year, I don't think he had the confidence to do almost anything within his game. And so that's great to see. Obviously, he made the big play of the seven on sevens. And I like that he's pissed off, man. I really do. I like whenever an athlete is pissed off. He talked about how he's pissed off and tired of, what people are saying and writing about him. And he's sick of it. And he talked about how he still, you know, he wants to be a difference maker for the giants. And I feel like a motivated Saquon Barkley is a better Saquon Barkley. And that's say he wasn't motivated last year, but there were other things going through his mind. Like you said, Nick, he was worried, nervous about coming back off the injury. He didn't trust himself fully. All that is hopefully now behind him. And now he can just be pissed. He can be pissed at the reputation that's developed around him. And that's great because he can use that to his advantage.
1: I love this quote. He was asked about his mindset during that recovery process and how he's going to handle it now that he is fully recovered. And he said, my mindset from just the last two years, to be honest, I kind of just want to kill. Go crazy. I don't want to jump the gun. It's a long way before September and we start and the start of the regular season. But, dude, he said he wants to kill and just go crazy. And that is somewhat motivating. Now, I just want to see that translate onto the football field because an angry Saquon Barkley, a healthy Saquon Barkley, can be an effective Saquon Barkley, specifically with good quality offensive coaches who know how to utilize his skill set.
2: Yeah, and that's what we expect to get and hope to get from the Giants. Speaking of all offensive coaches, while Brian Dable wouldn't answer the play calling question, he does say that Mike Kafka, their offensive coordinator, was giving the plays to the Giants' quarterbacks in practice today. So that's interesting. And he was saying I, it helps me rove around, do other things. He said he still won't pick a
1: you know the Volgen if he's
2: decided on a day uh, a game day play caller, but this is probably a step
1: in the direction of Kafka calling the plays, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and I'm actually interested with that man because I think this is such a great blend of two of the most. Prominent and best offenses in the National Football League. When you hear about Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, think about their offenses, how explosive they are. Those guys are the engines to that offense, but still, those offenses are maximized as well by those coaching staffs. Kafka comes from the Andy Reid tree, and I would love to see how this interesting blend happens. And I wasn't certain if this was going to be a Pat Shermer, Mike Shula type of situation where Kafka, you know, he handled a lot of responsibilities, but he wasn't the play caller. I think ideally, man, and I want to get your take on this, I would like for Kafka to be the play caller and allow Dable to just do all of the head coaching stuff and not necessarily have to focus on the nitty gritty play calling aspect of the offense. Where do you land on that?
2: So ideal world, I want the same as you in an ideal world,
1: in a not so ideal world, Brian
2: Dable has called plays before and has had success with it. Mike Kafka has not in the not so ideal world. Kafka struggles with that. And the giants are worse off despite not having the opposite which is what they wouldn't have which is a coach who has to do both so I'd like to start with the way you phrased it and framed it Nick which is Dable not calling the plays Kafka calling the plays Dable roaming around Dable doing head coach only duties Dable not you know not being caught up and overwhelmed and calling bad timeouts (laughs) but so I think it's worth suggesting that we should start that way and I'm happy that's kind of the direction they're trending in but I'd be okay to pull the pull the rug quickly if if Kafka is, if if it's you know if this is just something that's over his head right now and we'll see. And I thought some other interesting comments that were made today at the OTAs. Two things. One was from Dexter Lawrence, who said, "I'm not in good shape right now," which I thought was just so funny and like. Interesting for an honest for an athlete to say. And I think it's fine to not be in his tip-top shape in April, especially because you want a guy like that. In my mind, you'd prefer a guy like that overweight now so he can shed the pounds with the training while keeping the muscle rather than kind of like underweight and playing undersized. But he also said, which was interesting. And so did Leonard Williams, two things about Wink Martindale's new defense. One, they said it's pretty complicated, which is fine. It's interesting. The other thing was that they're going to be blitzing a lot. He's like, there's five different players who could be have the same blitz assignment on one snap and he's like just talking about how how intense complicated and blitz heavy this defense is going to be and all that stuff got me excited
1: oh it gets me excited too dan and it's no surprise if you watch the ravens film that's how it was utilized and uh, i think leonard williams was actually asked a question to when he was watching wink martindale's film which player did he fixate on and i think you can guess which player he said dan obviously calais campbell and if, he can perform like Calais Campbell has performed throughout his career. You can sign me up any day of the week. I mean, they're similar prototypes. Calais is a little bit taller, maybe a little bit bigger, but I can see Leonard Williams being used really well in that role while also being effective.
2: Yeah. We've talked in the past, me and you, Nick, about how we see that as the Leonard Williams prototype, the Calais Campbell, that's kind of his ceiling potentially. I don't know if he'll ever get there. He doesn't have the same length in my mind. He's not as good a player, but, he can be that in this defense, and I don't think it'll be too big of a drop-off from what the Ravens got from Campbell, which was a lot. He was a linchpin on that defense. He's was been he been re-signed. Amazing all they had to give up for him was a fifth-round pick, but that's neither here nor there. Leonard Williams can be that guy, and that role is very important within this defense, and so I'm excited to see him do that. Table talked a little bit, Nick, about how he's now had two weeks to teach these players in the classroom, and he's interested and eager to see how the players react on the field this week as they try to identify some of their physical skills and how quick they're picking up the playbook. That's another thing why, you know, that's another reason why it's tough for me to not have Tony there because it's not right. It's not just this day or the next day. It's the two weeks in the classroom where they're learning the playbook and they're learning the system. He doesn't get that, you know, and then it's the on-field reps with Daniel Jones and the whole offense. He's not getting that either. It's early. It's not everything. It's not like he's missing training camp. But just why not go ahead and get these extra reps? And I just don't, I don't fully get it.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
1: Yeah, I don't really understand it either. It's definitely unfortunate, but it definitely seems like, and it's no surprise, this tends to happen whenever there is a regime change. But all these players, man, and you wouldn't expect them to do anything different, but they spoke about how there is such a different energy and vibe with the New York Giants right now under Joe Shane and Brian Dable. I mean, Kenny Galladay brought up how the energy is just, he didn't say it was a lot more positive, but he said there was just a different feel in the building and a lot more energy, which is excellent. Are you surprised by that, though, with the New York Giants being as pathetic as they were over the last two years? But I do want to say, because I know Xavier McKinney brought it up as well, I, I think this is going to be good, because Joe Judge was not necessarily a players coach. I feel like Joe Judge did things to, to assist players and actually cared about his players, but in terms of on the field, it was very New England-esque. Right now, with Dable, it, it doesn't seem, and obviously it's very early, but I don't really get an inkling, that it's going to be one of those very, very high uptight type of situations. And I think that could really help unlock some of these players and also create a much more inviting atmosphere for future free agents to possibly come along.
2: Yeah. I love that take. And it's funny because Dable did work under Saban and under Belichick, but he's not seemingly bringing over that same feeling of paranoia. That is how I gauge this. Look, everybody celebrated Joe judge after his first season which I remember on the podcast saying, I'm not ready to do it yet. I'm just not ready because for me it was more so just he had accomplished absolutely nothing in my mind in his rookie season. Winning those meaningless games. Those games they won down the stretch besides the Seattle game, which was a grinded out game where they confused Russell Wilson, had him play a really bad game, and then won that game by grinding. That's not enough for me to be like, oh, my God, this team is headed in the right direction. Then came the laps that like fans were celebrating. Oh, it's just so great. He's making him run laps. No one liked that. Like, we got these fake-ass, like, fluff stories in the media. Oh, yeah, the players, they love Joe Judge. Then the minute he's gone, everyone's saying the opposite. And why would you expect them to say anything negative while the coaches are still there, the people employing them, the GM and the coach are still there? Once he's gone, that's when the real stuff comes out. And there was a constant flow so far from Galladay, from McKinney, from all these guys saying, you know, it's a lot less uptight here. It's a lot less tense here right? We don't have to be walking on eggshells like we were. You build that environment and it can work if you're the Patriots. That's about it. Like Everyone else who's tried to build that environment hasn't made it work. And the only reason it worked for the Patriots is because they had Tom Brady in my mind. If they didn't have Tom Brady and they were shooting through QBs every other year, they wouldn't have been able to build what they've been able to build there. And Belichick had one bad year before this past year. If let's say they didn't get Mac Jones, and for some reason they went into that last season with bad quarterback play and continued to lose games, I think that environment could die fast too, even with Bill Belichick being there. If they had two, three bad losing seasons in a row, you, you, you wouldn't have it in my mind. And you can't just build that from scratch. Like If you're a losing team, I don't think it's a good idea to come in and have that paranoid environment. That's how I describe the Joe Judge-Dave Gettleman days, the paranoid environment. And they they, and they even talked about Mary even talked about bad communication between the GM and the coach. That's not the case right now with Shane and Dable. That's not there either. So that paranoid environment that I think was bred and built under Judge and Gettleman, that's gone. And to me, that's a big thing. I'm very happy to see that going forward.
1: Yeah, as am I. I think it's going to only result in something positive, to be honest, as long as they're winning as well, because if they start losing, that's like the recipe for everything. What do you, what was your feel, Dan, on James Bradbury not being in attendance? I mean, I, I don't hate it because I understand that this guy's kind of on the trading block right now, but we should probably acknowledge the fact that he was not at voluntary workouts.
2: Yeah, and I think it's a little different than the Tony situation, right? Because yeah. I'm sure there's been some communication between Bradbury, his agent, and the Giants Saying, look, stay away right now from the voluntary stuff. We don't. We'll let you know what's going to happen here, but stay away. And Joe Shane made the most interesting comment on the Bradbury front, which I thought, at least Nick, I'm curious to get your take, which was, we don't have to decide this thing today, and we may go the whole, we may wait till the draft plays out to decide it. Which makes me kind of feel like they're kind of seeing if they're going to get Gardner or Stingley and make the decision based on that, depending on the how the ball, board falls. Because someone else was like, would you take? you know, what if you, what are you going to, what if your decision at five is to get your cornerback one or another position? Is that a tough decision? And, and, and Shane's like, what, you have a crystal ball? You don't think that this the, my, the quarterback one is going to go in the top four picks. And that was an interesting comment because there's a, been a lot of buzz lately. That's that uh, Gardner is going to go number three overall to the Texans. And if that's the case, and, Sh- and Shane may be hearing that, maybe thinking that maybe feeling that it could impact the decision on Bradbury, but it could also impact, you know, where this guy actually goes and if they ever have a chance at Gardner in the first place.
1: Not even just that. I don't think he also wants to undersell James Bradbury and be like, well, you know, he's not going to be on the team. And then that just tanks the trade value that they could have. even If that does happen before or after the draft, which is obvious. I, I'm i am curious to, to, to with Joe Shane, do you think there's any chance that they would extend James Bradbury after he kind of really came out and said he didn't want to do that, but then was forced to do it with a player who plays the same position in a Dory Jackson. I don't think so,
2: just because I don't feel like Shane's going to want to walk in that direction right now with an older player like Bradbury is at, the, at any of these position. Like, really, even if the position is as premium as corner, I can't see them doing that unless it's a bit of a pay cut, which I don't think Bradbury is at all willing to take, which is kind of why they got themselves in this position in the first place. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. It's possible. I just don't see it. He doesn't seem like the best fit for the
1: system, and he's older. I mean, another thing that Shane did say, you might have just— Almost said this too. Is they've been receiving calls, and I hope that drives up a, a team to to want to be a little bit more eager. But we all know teams aren't going to be that reactionary. This isn't draft day where they took advantage of that poor <laughs> Jaguars <laughs> general manager.
2: God, that was such a bad movie. Like I hate, but that I like it. But I oh, like it, 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 it?
1: I, <laughs> it's I so did
2: bad that you like to hate watch it,
1: dude. Avante Mack, you know, put it on the post it. You know, <laughs> you're gonna see that meme so many times yeah. with players names from this draft probably throughout the next week yeah you're probably damn right about that a couple of interesting
2: notes here Shane sp- has spent according to Dan Dugan a lot of time watching defensive backs that's interesting the Giants don't have like people continue to forget how shallow the depth chart is right now the defensive back positions whether that be corner or safety the Giants are shallow in both spots right now to the point where he, like Jerron Williams I think today was working with the safeties which was Interesting enough, in it within its own right, like because he's not a safety, and it's interesting. They got a lot of needs, but defensive backs are higher than people realize, and I'm not going to be surprised if the Giants take a couple of defensive backs high in this draft.
1: Oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And a lot of, and we talked a little bit about this with Schmelke, right? the The Bills were in a position where they had the infrastructure in place before Joe Shane and Brandon Bean arrived, where their secondary was pretty stacked. And now the New York Giants, they have a defensive coordinator whose system is more predicated on the secondary than the pass rush. And then you can also look at the roster and say the Giants need a lot in the secondary. And I think people are kind of Looking at the Buffalo situation and being like, well, they drafted a bunch of edges and they drafted a bunch of defensive linemen. So that's probably what Joe Shane is going to do. It's like, well, that's all contextual because that's what Buffalo needed at the time. I feel like it's more looking like the Giants are going to need to invest in the secondary, draft a safety, draft one of those top cornerbacks in the first round, maybe even double up with the first three picks in the secondary, then get one of those cornerbacks at 36 if a Jalen Petrie from Baylor falls to 36. And I think that's maybe the way we should be looking. I mean, there's a bunch of different avenues they can take, but the secondary, like you said, Said, Dan, you put it well, it's, it's a big need right now, specifically, and especially for Dominic Martindale system.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. Exactly. I want to talk about a little bit of other news here though, Nick, all offensive line news on the injury front. I think it's good, really good news that both Nick Gates and Matt Parrot were walking around today, here today, riding the bike Parrot, especially recovering pretty fast from that injury. I thought that could leave him out for a while. And Gates just moving around is great to see. And then Shane Lemieux back and was working with the first team offense today.
1: Shane Lemieux, yeah. I mean, I figured Shane Lemieux would would be back for this season. And I think we've, as Giants fans, have forgotten him a little bit. And I understand why. He wasn't that great his rookie season, specifically in pass protection. If we wanted to make this a really rudimentary way to look at an offense, would you say that it's more important for Brian Dable's offense to be better at pass protection or run blocking?
2: Pass protection.
1: Pass protection. So that's not great for Shane Lemieux unless he really has improved, but he's been working on a pretty serious injury coming back from that and rehabbing. But I still think if the Giants don't address interior offensive line uh, with a day two pick, I think he has a shot to beat out Max Garcia and to beat out Ben Bredesen to be the starting left guard on the team.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's totally out of the the, the picture, though. I will say he's part of the, the pass regime staff, so – It kind of depends on what Bobby Johnson, like what we're going to see from what they want from these linemen. But I don't think Lemieux is done as a prospect. I wasn't a huge fan of him coming out at all after watching his rookie season. I thought it was worse than Giants fans gave it credit for. Again, I like him moving in space, but how much is that is because I was comparing it to Will Hernandez instead moving in space He's one of the worst kind of in space movers I've seen from the position, at least on the Giants team. So you know, being a good run blocker, if he was even that, which I'm not even sure he was in his rookie season, I think he was adequate. I don't know if he was good. Good is really different. The Giants haven't had a good anything on the offensive line besides Andrew Thomas in a long time. And so, like, if you're that and just still the same liability as a pass protector, I'd rather use a swing guy or maybe, you know, I don't think, I think there's a wide range of outcomes for Lemieux this year, Nick. I'm curious to get your take if that makes sense either. I think there's a chance he could get cut straight up if depending on where they go in the draft.
1: Wow, that is a wide range of outcomes. I mean, if they go heavily invested into the interior offensive line, then then maybe, I mean, they're not married to Shane Lemieux like Dave Gettleman was. I would be a little surprised to, to make that statement now, but it's definitely not the most ridiculous thing in the world. They've already
2: signed multiple IOLs, though. And then it's like, if you draft one high, let's say one falls to 36, they love. Plus, you already t- you're taking the tackle at five or seven.
1: It's a lot of offensive linemen for a few yeah. spots. That's a good point. I'm wondering if... They look at Ben Bredesen and they say they might cut someone like him. Uh, I don't know oh, how they ben value Ben
2: Bredesen. I hate him. I don't know how man. they value those
1: two. You know, I mean, I we like Bredesen
2: too. I still kind of like Bredesen. I thought he was a better prospect than Lemieux. I would agree with that.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. It wasn't overly consistent. No, it wasn't. Than it's Lemieux. not overly
2: consistent. That's the problem. That's the problem with Ben Bredesen. I want what I could get at 104 instead in this draft, but that's. Crying over spilled milk, so we won't do that. We're just gonna have to take it. Hopefully, no more panic trades from this regime. A couple other interesting notes Giant Insider podcasts uh, reported that Wink Martindale has Aaron Robinson playing a lot of outside corners so
1: far. What do you make of that? I think it makes sense. I mean, I think that's well within his wheelhouse playing outside cornerback. He did that down at UCF and he showed I would say pretty well last year when he was asked to do it I think he's somebody who can play a multitude of different positions and he's one of those young players on this roster that we should be more excited about
2: yeah I'm with you entirely I'm we should be very excited about Aaron Robinson especially because I remember doing our first review of his first game uh, game action last year with the Giants the all 22 review and we we're both like when we first watch him, we're like, this kid gets it. It clicks. You see him in coverage. You, you Some guys you just know. We talked about the third-round draft busts. Are we It's a future podcast. We're dipping into the future. We have this one scheduled out. But we talked to me and Nick at one point. You'll hear it eventually about what happened, like why the Giants haven't been able to hit on a third-round pick since 2008. And one of those guys was Jaron Hosie. Hosey. You knew it immediately when you watched him in coverage. Like, this dude doesn't get it. It's not going to click for him. It's not going to work. I felt the opposite with Robinson, and that was based on reps that he took on the outside as the boundary corner, which you're not expecting. You thought he was just going to be a slot, but I don't necessarily know that needs to be true, and the good news is they drafted him to be a man coverage corner, and that's what they need now. They didn't necessarily need it at the time when they played so much zone under Patrick Graham, but now with Wink, it's a nice fit, and I, I'm pretty excited about him too, Nick,
1: I, I got to yeah. admit. And if the Giants don't invest in the cornerback position high, then they're really going to need Aaron Robinson if oh, James yeah. Bradbury is not going to be on the roster. And even if James Bradbury is on the roster, you need at least three solid starting cornerbacks to be a successful defense especially if you're going to do what wink martindale wants to do so if you minus james bradbury then you're really going to need aaron robinson and if they even draft sauce you're still really going to need aaron robinson so there's really not a scenario where they're not going to need this guy unless they keep james bradbury and draft sauce gardner and then he can be a fourth dime type a type of dude when they could also use him at safety if they don't invest in the safety or at least like a star type of position drop him down in the box he can handle deep half responsibilities at times not something that he would do overly consistent but i think he's a very very unique and versatile player who i'm excited to watch his second season where again the the guy was hurt last year remember that man he didn't get a training camp or any of those things and he still he didn't start off really slow he kind of hit the ground running pretty well
2: yeah, exactly. And that you don't expect for people who are coming off the surgery too. So a lot of good steady drum beat stuff there coming from Aaron Robinson, who's a prospect. Me and Nick are definitely excited about going into this season. I thought it was interesting to hear Kenny Galladay say, look, I'm not Stefan Diggs, but I already can see, and I already like what the coaches have planned for me. I love to hear that because, and, and, and look, Dable, I think it was Dable or he's, he's talking about how he's excited to play for Dable and Kafka. It's like, Did the Giants really have anything for Kenny Galladay last year? It didn't really feel like it to me, Nick. I didn't feel like there was a single game plan I watched last year that was designed around getting Galladay the ball or Galladay being the featured player. And he's like, I already see some plays I'm super excited about within this offense. Um, And that just wasn't the case at all last year, despite us thinking he was the perfect fit for the Garrett offense. I don't know if anyone's a perfect fit for Garrett offense. Garrett offense doesn't have much to it.
1: No, man, you know that's that's a good point too. And I think the only time where Kenny Galladay was featured was when they were doing no huddle offense against New Orleans. And that's where you right. saw your big plays, you know, and that was all in the fourth quarter with the giants down by multiple scores. And that's where Kenny Galladay really kind of shined. It was the only time he shined with the New York giants last year. So I'm excited to see what Dable has planned for him as well. And Kafka, I think it's uh, I I don't think the talent just eroded. I don't think this guy is washed. I still think he's a talented guy who doesn't create an ample amount of separation, but will win those contested catches. Big body can win at the line of scrimmage on slants, throw on the back short Shoulders, you can hit him with fade routes, test to catch situations. He's typically pretty good. So I'm excited to see exactly what he does, but (laughs) hopefully it's better than last year because it was, it was bad.
2: Yeah. And Galladay talked about how he's already seeing trickery, creativity in the formations, offense, moving a lot of guys around. There's a lot of nuances and that's just what you want to hear. I mean, it's, it's coach speak. It's players speak. I get it, but all right, now let's talk a little Joe Shane because Joe Shane revealed some things, not much. He's not going to get them in us, which May not be as fun for us and for you guys, but it's best. It's best not to dip your hat. It's best not to fall in love with these prospects and let everybody know it. Just keep it, keep it guarded. Keep it, vest- to keep it to your vest, and he's going to do that. But he did reveal some stuff. He said, look, I've already received calls to trade back from both five and seven. But he also said if he feels comfortable about having a top seven in this class that he really likes, He's not going to trade back. And he said there's been times I've been part of teams that have traded back and gotten too cute and missed out on one of those guys. So it leads me to believe that they're not going to trade back. I've kind of felt that way from for a while now, Nick. Have you have, what are your thoughts on them potentially trading back and and if Shane's comments
1: swung you in any direction there? So I take Shane's comments at face value, but I'm trying to think of scenarios in the top four picks. That may lead to Joe Shane wanting to trade back. And I think that could be a, a fun little exercise right here. Like, say, Kayvon Thibodeau is off the board, say, Sauce Gardner is off the board, they land the right tackle at five. So, whether that be Evan Neal or whoever it is, but then with those other two picks, say, Sauce and Kayvon are off the board, Trayvon Walker's off the board, and insert another player that would entice the Giants at edge, Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. Now you're sitting there at seven. Somebody went at six, probably a tackle, but you already got your tackle. Would they trade back with the right offer? And I think that's where it might get a little interesting, or would they want to go in another direction there, or would they reach? I think if Sauce and Kayvon Thibodeau go in the top four and the Giants pick the first tackle, that's where that trade-down situation at seven gets interesting if there's Yeah,
2: a that's a great point, Nick. If they're left with just like Jermaine Johnson – And, and a bunch of, and, and and then depends kind of then how they feel about Jermaine Johnson and Derek Stingley, right? They have grades that are similar to sauce on Stingley and similar to those other edges like Thibodeau on Johnson. They might just say, it, let's stay here. But if they don't, that's when they start to consider the trade back, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think that's an excellent point. It's how they feel about Stingley. And I think John Schmelk brought up a great point on our podcast. Joe Shane said, some of the pillars of the players that he's looking for is one of the main ones is they he wants them to be dependable. And is Derek Stingley Jr. dependable in his mind? And I think that's a fair question. I think in terms of the talent and the skill set, absolutely love Derek Stingley Jr. The kid the kid is excellent man coverage. I feel like he's more disciplined at the line of scrimmage than someone like a Sauce Gardner, to be honest. So, I mean, I, I get why fans wouldn't love it, but I, I do find myself really liking Stingley, but I do have Sauce a tad bit higher.
2: Me and Nick are both going to be okay because we already spoke about this off pod. With if Stingley goes at seven, I know it's going to freak out and shock a lot of Giants fans, but I, I think I'm going to be completely okay with that. And you are as well,
1: I will be. But if, again, it kind of goes to something that we're talking about with the Kadarius Tony pick. It's like you and the DeAndre Baker pick, you have to be sure that everything checks out and that this kid wants it. And I can't speak to the fact that if he does or doesn't, I don't know, but. Yeah. I, I think you just have to be sure of all those red flags that you and I can't really opine on.
2: For me, it's like I'll be way more okay with them going Stingley at seven and Jermaine Johnson at seven, if that makes any sense.
1: No, that makes sense. Or N'Kobe Dean or um, Devin Lloyd. Devin Not not as much N'Kobe Dean anymore, but I've seen Devin Lloyd recently mocked by big media personalities yeah. at seven. And I would that's, not love That's
2: that. a throw the remoter for me. That, I thought Trevor Penning was the only possible throw the remote. This is the new throw the remote for me.
1: And that's no knock on Like, I think Lloyd is, is going to be fine. I just, when, and I've said this before on the podcast, when people were being like, yeah, he's going to go seven to the Giants when he was being mocked in like in January and then it just recently came up again, I was like, no, like, I, I, no, no, no. You better be not. sure just- you're
2: getting Luke Keekly if you're taking a linebacker, an all ball linebacker in the top, then you better be dead sure you got the next Luke Keekly because otherwise he's not impacting the passing game enough in the run or, or as a as a coverage guy or a blitzer.
1: And just
2: and if he's not Luke Kuechly, then if he's not a Luke Kuechly type, I just I have no interest in that
1: early. No, I hundred I couldn't agree more, dude.
2: Yeah, and so hopefully that doesn't happen. Yikes! I didn't even think about that scenario. I I I guess I just put that out in my head as a non as a non non-descript non-close or non-issue. We'll see. I guess it's possible. He also said Joe Shane, which I thought was interesting. That offensive line will be a priority in this draft. Then he also went on to say. He's not going to force it there. When they also said Cross has really good feet and he's a really good player. We like him. So those are the kind of offensive line comments. Anything to take away from those?
1: <laughs> yeah, so um not much. I think we already knew that yeah. this offensive line was going to be a huge target area for Joe Shane and hopefully he does a better job than his the person that he replaced.
2: And I don't know if this is anything Nick, but he did say the picks at 5 and 7 are very important to this franchise for now in the future. I don't know if that's me reading too much into it saying he doesn't want to trade out and he wants those picks or he just, this is just lip service
1: and something he would have said. it could be either or to be honest. Okay. And I think another thing you want to sell, if you are trying to trade out in a draft where you probably recognize that not a lot of people are going to be trying to trade up for the quarterbacks because there's not top end quarterbacks like there were last year, You probably want to drive the value of your pickup a little bit and make it like you really want some of these guys that you might not be as interested. Could be that too.
2: Yeah. It could definitely be that a couple other little lines from Shane that I want to get your take on. He said he's spoken a lot in depth with Wink Martindale. Remember, these GMs go over with their coaches, the type of players they want, uh, their position coaches or the coordinators, I should say. And he said the one thing that keeps coming up is versatility and how he schemes his defense and uses his players. So drafting versatile players is going to be important on the
1: defense side of the ball. (laughs) <laughs> and the Giants just had Logan Hall in for a visit. So Logan Hall at pick 36, if he's there, that's making more and more sense. He's a very, very versatile defensive lineman out of Houston, and you want to line him up as a three technique. That's his ideal position. It's something he said in an interview. I think he's a great five technique in an odd front. You could put him as a nose in pass rushing situations. You can line him up on the edge. Very, very violent. Kind of pops out of his stance a little bit right at the snap, but I think that can be correctable. But you want to talk about somebody who just throws his hands and is really relentless in his pursuit as a pass rusher and could probably iron out a couple things in terms of placement and timing and when to get to the second move i look at logan hall and i say damn that is somebody that is going to entice some some nfl general managers and remember last year man peyton turner was his teammate at houston he was similar that to logan hall i think a little bit probably uh, better than logan hall is but he ended too. up squeaking into the first round not a lot of people had that up until about you know what a week before the draft
2: yeah, and I actually
1: like Turner more than Hall. I,
2: I wouldn't want Hall to be the pick at 36 personally, Um, versatility you know, aside. I just don't see enough of a pass rushing upside at the next level. We'll see if I'm wrong about that. But at 36, there's just so much other talent that I'm just not as interested. Damn. But yeah, but we'll see. I mean, the Giants have him in for a top 30 visit. That means something. Shane also said, character issues are important to me and can take a guy off my board. He said, I'm totally fine if a character issue guy has a great career elsewhere, that's kind of different than what we've been doing. I know it's not different. What we've been saying, the Gettleman judge era preached character stuff, but they also drafted Deandre Baker and potentially we'll see where this one goes with Darius, Tony with two of their first round picks. So to me, it's different. I think it's a lot different than, and even the Tony thing, it's like they, they talked about Pettit. I think it was talked about, Oh, we had a conversation with him around midnight at the combine and felt great coming out of that. Like, that's not a character. That's not how you evaluate a character to me personally. I don't know how to do this. I'm not the expert on it. On finding out, you know, if you have your Don, if you can avoid your Devon, DeAndre Baker, but I don't know. I feel like Shane's going to put an actual present. Like he's not going to just be. It's not going to be lip service with him.
1: Yeah, and, uh, one way to do it is when you send your scout to the school. Have that scout ask waitresses at restaurants you know professors and people who don't necessarily have skin in the game to have this guy get drafted high ask them how the kid is ask them how he how he reacts you know when nobody is watching when there aren't NFL eyes everybody is on their best behavior at the Reese's Senior Bowl and at the combine so I feel like in order to get the best picture of these kids you have to kind of go to the place where they've spent the last four years and, and ask around a little bit kind of do a little bit of investigative journalism.
2: Yeah, it's a great way to put it. I remember they some area scouts I've heard like go to the bars and just sit there and wait for these players to come in, and they're just not marked or anything. Nobody knows who they are, but that's their job just to wait, wait and watch these players interact with other human beings. Uh, and it's not bad because look, you're making these huge investments, and to me, the the big thing is do these guys want to be the best possible X position X whether that be receiver, quarterback, running, but whatever it is, do they want to be the best possible? That's always what makes the best players. Ask Michael Jordan, what makes him the best? It's the competitive drive. And that goes on on, so on and so forth with every best great player in any sport in the history. So look, we'll see what happens with, with with the Tony situation, but we're not going to dive too deep. Shane also mentioned he likes the depth a lot in rounds two and three. I mean, we've talked a lot about that and concurred in our evaluation of this class,
1: Nick, anything to take away from that though? I mean, only if they trade back, but it's very obvious that this is a very deep draft in that day two range where the player who gets selected at the back end of round one might not have that much of a different grade than somebody who goes to the back end of round two. And that's why I think it's really important to get a lot of day two picks, second round and third round, because I feel like you can find a lot of guys who will be starting on your team by the end of this year, if not this season.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. All right. Anything to take away from these th- recent top thirty visits? There were two more today. I think Shane mentioned the final six have already been scheduled, um, and he'll and, and 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 the two today were Logan Hall, you just went over, and then Brian SMO. Who we brought up a couple podcasts ago. Uh, so any any recent takes on some of their top thirty guys?
1: So not necessarily takes because we could spend forever here breaking some yeah, of these guys too. down. But I do want to just list off all of the the players. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so we'll start two LSU cornerbacks, Derek Stingley and then Cordell Flott, cornerback Sauce Gardner, UConn defensive tackle Travis Jones, defensive tackle Logan Hall out of Houston, edge rushers Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan, Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon, Trayvon Walker, Georgia, Nick Benito, Oklahoma, linebacker Brian Asamoah, Oklahoma, Kenyon Green, guard Texas A&M, very, very versatile player. If he falls to 36 I mean you know they want to invest in the offensive line, that could get very interesting. Offensive tackle, Abraham Lucas, who's big right tackle out there in Washington State. Tyler Smith, who is an offensive tackle out of Tulsa, who will more than likely be a guard you can kick him inside. Similar to Trevor Penning in the fact that he doesn't really know what he's doing, but man, is he mean, and man, he has a ton of play strength. Ike Aquanu, Evan Neal, Malik Willis, Sam Howe, running back Brees Hall out of Iowa State, James Cook out of Georgia, Brian Robinson out of Alabama, safety, Lewis Seen, Then the tight ends. I feel like this is interesting. Jelani Woods out of Virginia. So he's a big six foot seven tight end who transferred from Oklahoma, was a high school quarterback. So he's still raw to the position. Very, very good linear athlete, maybe not as fluid in space, but still somebody who's very interesting. Cade Otten, kind of a, quote-unquote boring tight end out of Washington but somebody who is a good blocker and a solid receiving fetch is a good overall type of player and I think that's an interesting person to pay attention to and then the tight end out of Colorado State Trey McBride. Walter Football also had these three names on his top 30 lists but I don't think there was confirmation but I'm going to name them anyways. Edge Boye Mafé out of Minnesota love him very explosive pass rusher. Kenny Pickett quarterback Pitt and then Brandon Smith linebacker out of Penn State. I I don't love Brennan Smith. He was somebody who was getting first round buzz at the beginning of this process. I think he's wildly athletic, which is great. And you'd love to see that, but man, he is just not all that physical for a linebacker. So that would have to be a late round pick for me to be interested.
2: Ooh, I like that take because obviously there was some buzz early on about him. Some interesting names there. Sign is a player who I think could be there potentially at thirty six, and could be very interesting to the Giants. Obviously, you mentioned Kenny Green; that could be a really fun pick for the Giants for all of us who want offensive line and for once and for all to kind of try to fix that group. Like I know a lot of people would be thrilled if they go tackle at five and interior offensive lineman at thirty six, and it's hard to blame them for that. Uh, anyone, anything else from that
1: that group that that stands out to you? I mean, I'm looking over this group, and we talked about before how. Four players who go before the Giants' fifth pick and then the Giants select five, at five, right? So if we do this little thought process, you have Derek Stingley there for that seventh pick if Sauce Gardner is off the board. Trayvon Walker was a member of this group as well if he's not one of those top four picks where the Giants go in that direction. You know, if the Giants get that right tackle at five, they can't trade out of seven, and then Trayvon Walker's still there. Don't think Trayvon Walker will be there. I actually don't think Trayvon – and we, we talked to Elliot Chris. That's an episode that's going to be dropping in the future as well. We just we can predict the future, Dan and I, right now. But I, I don't think Trayvon Walker gets past Houston if he's not the one of those first two picks. Yeah, I think you're right about that as well. All right, Nick,
2: anything else from today's OTAs or anything you wanted to touch on before we wrap this thing up?
1: Dude, Draft is right around the corner and I, I know. can't wait. So exciting.
2: I can't wait as well. It's going to be a fun time.
1: All right, everybody else, have a great rest of your week.
2: More content coming baby. We'll talk to you soon.